HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Good afternoon, Greenhorns. This is Severin, your host. Once again, we are here with Greenhorns Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers. Um, I'm coming to you today from Island Meadow Farm in Washington State, and I'm joined on the phone by Richard Wiswall from Vermont. Hello, are you there? Hi, Severin. Yes, I am. Hello, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much. Um, We're here speaking with Richard a lot of the reason why is because he's just published a book called The Organic Farmer's Business Handbook, and it's wonderful. And maybe you could tell us, um, just for a start, what inspired you to write such a book? Sure. The Kind of the impetus for the book is that I've been doing this for 29 years, and I've known my own struggles of starting up and running an organic farm. And... You know, of all the books and information out there in the world on farming, there's plenty of books on how, on production, how to produce things, how to, you know, uh, check soil fertility, build soils, grow different kinds of crops, pests and disease management. But there's really a lack of information about how to actually run a business so you can be successful at farming. And so what I did was I kind of had a, a thirst for that kind of knowledge after about 10 years of farming and realizing that's what I really needed to be focusing on. So I ended up kind of paying attention myself about like, what is it, what do I really need to do to, to make a successful business? And in, you know, the next uh, 15 years, I started uh, getting a better handle on it and I started putting together some talks and uh, papers for different organizations. And so then those kind of culminated two years ago in writing the book, which kind of gives a, a you know, a step-by-step um, outline for how to become a successful business person in organic farming and also some other tips that any small business person would uh, uh, benefit from, from retirement planning to um, uh, how to spend money in your business effectively. Um, and your farm is in Vermont. It's called Kate Farm. Maybe you could describe the operation to those greenhorns who are listening to see if your business model is applicable to them. Sure. Um, Kate Farm actually was settled in 1793 by the Kate family, C-A-T-E, 
And they, the Kate family owned it for about 100 and some odd years, and then they sold it out of the family, but it's been called the Kate Farm ever since. It's been a dairy farm and sheep farm for, um, well, since the late 1700s. Goddard College in Plainfield, Vermont, bought it in 1964 and used it for faculty housing and a summer program and uh, Bread and Puppet Theater, which is now relocated north of us, was here in the early 1970s. And I started here in 1981 uh, as a partnership with four other individuals, and I kind of rented the property from the partnership so I could have a kind of a low-entry cost into starting to farm, and I built up my own business. And then uh, 10 years or 12 years after starting here at Kate Farm, I had a track record of running my own farm business and could I, and the other partners were willing to sell, so I ended up borrowing a lot of money from the bank and buying out the other partners. And in the process of actually, this is back in 1993, and so in the process of borrowing uh, $190,000, I kind of was stretching my neck very thinly across this chopping block with a kind of a, you know, knife hanging over, you know, making sure I didn't make one false move. And so, you know, that put a lot of pressure on me to make sure I was doing the job well and be able to pay off my mortgage. And that was actually kind of a catalyst for me to really sharpen my pencil. So then, um, to tell you a little bit about the farm, we grow certified organic vegetables. On The farm itself is 148 acres. We have 22 acres in cultivation. About a third of that is in row crops, and two-thirds is in cereal grains, wheat or rye or oats. And sometimes we plow them back in. Sometimes we uh, harvest them with an old combine. We have 700-foot-long greenhouses where we grow seedlings and bedding plants for customers in the area. And then we have five greenhouses which we grow uh, crops in the ground, things like greenhouse tomatoes or uh, greens, um, bunch beets, things like that, in the ground, and we rotate them so they're not in tomatoes continuously. We sell to the farmer's market in Montpelier, and we do wholesale in central Vermont, and then we also are a member of Deep Root Organic Truck Farmers, which is a grower's co-op of mostly growers in uh, northern Vermont and southern Canada, which sell to the Boston and New York urban uh, markets. We hire, it's my wife and I that own the farm. We have three children in our 20s, in their 20s, and uh, two of them this summer are working. They all worked on and off. My daughter's right now in San Francisco. And we uh, besides two of our children, we also have two other regular employees. And then when it gets really busy, we'll actually hire some extra hands in just to get big blocks of work done. Did I cover all the bases? That's a pretty big operation, and then also to write a book. Um, could you speak up just a little bit, Severin? I'm sorry. That's a lot of that's a lot to to pile a book on top of. Well, <laughs> I know. Well, luckily in Vermont we have a, a winter time where it gets a little bit slower, and we have some. That's when I try to focus on projects like writing a book. Um, and uh, the book actually had been in the making for a while, so it was you know kind of more putting it together during the winter, that one winter. Well, will you mind t- talking a little bit about um, the atmosphere and uh, the atmosphere around the beginning of your farming operation and 
in, it sounds like if Bread and Puppet was on that farm in the 1970s, that there might have been some wild times. Um, and, and a little bit how that uh, atmosphere shifted and changed for you, besides the bank, um, to speak a little bit to the people who were in the very beginnings of their agricultural careers and who were maybe a little bit still in that atmosphere of um, chaotic ambition. Sure. Um... I guess, you know, remembering back when I first started out, I was very excited to be doing what I was doing, and I still am, but, you know, I was, you know, out of college and having read Wendell Berry and Radical Agriculture and Diet for a Small Planet, and, you know, fueled with um, desire and then having a place to be able to do it was just a tremendous opportunity for me, and it was actually very lucky for me that I, I could have a low or a, a way to start farming with a low entry cost. And that was because I was leasing, in effect, the um, land that I was using. And I didn't have a big mortgage to start out with. And so, you know, and I work, as a little background, you know, I farm full-time for the past 29 years. I also um, consult with other farmers in New England, you know, helping them sharpen their business basically being another set of eyes and trying to help them. And it's anybody who's just starting out farming to people who have been doing it for years. And when I work with um, farmers who are just starting down the path, it's, uh, you know, there's some big challenges. There's a lot of things to do all at once, and it can be overwhelming. And I remember very well how overwhelming it, it is. And I was raising two small children at the time and, you know, trying to build up business, you know, so every year we're either putting up a cooler or building up a, putting up a greenhouse. And so you're, you know, it's not just a matter of having a business that's kind of built up and you're kind of, you know, at cruising altitude, you're actually trying to get to cruising altitude. And so it's going to demand some extra um, effort. And so it's, you know, you, you want to have that passion to do what you want to do um, to make it work. And that said, you're going to probably put in some long hours of what I recommend to people starting out is a few things that maybe make it easier. And, you know, I've made tons of mistakes over my lifetime, and I'd happy to share them with other people so they don't make them again. But the thing, so they don't have to repeat them, but one of the things is, you know, you can farm without having a big mortgage, and access to land is probably as important um, or more important than owning land. I mean, if you can rent land or lease land for a five-year lease or 10-year or even longer, you know, at a fraction of the cost of owning it, you won't have the pressure and you'll have more flexibility in doing what you want to do. Around here, we can, you know, lease land for $50 to $100 an acre for good agricultural land. It's, you know, to rent a 10 or 20-acre piece is, you know, affordable in that range. And especially if you're going to grow a crop that is, you know, a high gross uh, gross sales per acre crop, you know, that 50 to to $100 an acre is really uh, just a small fraction of, um, of the expenses. You might, you know, if you're a diversified vegetable farm selling organically at a retail level, you can be grossing $20,000 an acre without, you know, I mean, it takes work, obviously, but it's not unattainable. And, you know, so 
$100 an acre to rent land is not that much. Whereas if you're trying to, you know, talk a bank into buying a $200,000 farm, or it's just going to be a harder sell, and you're going to have the pressure to, you know, continually to produce to make those mortgage payments, and the risk is a lot higher. So one is, I think, leasing land is really important. The other thing is to make sure that you get your markets lined up before you plant a seed. You know, it doesn't do anyone good, anyone any good to plant an acre of carrots without knowing where those are going to go because you may grow them and flood the market or not be able to sell them and till them all in and, and be a catastrophe uh, financially for you. And it's better to kind of knock on the, what I do is I recommend, you know, go to the back doors of restaurants and health food stores and stores and say, you know, are you looking for carrots? You know, do you get them from a local grower already? And if not, you know, I'd be happy to supply you with them. And this is the price I was thinking of. And you start a relationship, you know, before you start uh, planting anything. And then when the in season, when you do have carrots, you go back Friday to the back door and say, excuse me? Oh, I'm sorry. I said I learned a lesson. It's good not to show up a Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock. Probably not. You probably want to think, you know, I've heard, and I don't know how true it is, but they say Tuesdays are better. And because Monday morning people are kind of getting back into things, and then Tuesdays they've kind of got the ball rolling, but it's not like Fridays when they're ready to go home. So Tuesdays or Wednesdays I think are probably the best days to pay visits to people, and definitely not during, if you're going to a restaurant, don't do it at the height of mealtime, do it, you know, at 3 in the afternoon or something when, they have, when a chef has time. And so, you know, you develop a relationship, and that way you actually have a, you know, a target for your market before you plant. So leasing land and having an idea of where you're going to sell things, you become much more efficient at growing what you can sell. That's a real key to success. And so you're saying for the first five years, don't burden yourself with a mortgage. Don't get fixated on ownership. Lease land, figure out the place that you're living, figure out the soils, dial in your farming practice, figure out what your business, where the profitability is. And then after five years, you start. You could then start um, finding yourself something to buy. Is that kind of the... Well, you don't need to. I don't think you ever need to find something to buy. It all depends on your situation. And there's no real ideal or model farm. And I want to kind of dispel the myth that there's like this ideal farm out there. And... It all depends on people's situations, and you don't really need to own land. I mean, there's great models right here in Vermont and Burlington at the Intervale. They have a great system where people live in the city and they lease land on this floodplain and go to farm, you know, and come back into the city to uh, live their lives at night. And so you you don't need to own land. I mean, it's a night. I'm. We own land, and I think it's a great thing in terms of long-term stewardship uh, because, you know, my children have been born and raised here, and, you know, hopefully they'll want to continue on. But you don't need to own it, and uh, you can be much more lean and flexible. In fact, you can, I mean, this is maybe not that important for beginning farmers, but you can actually deduct lease payments from a t- from a, on your taxes, whereas you can't deduct land payments. You only can deduct the interest on the land. And so, you know, it's more of security. You just want to be able to have a five-year lease or 10-year lease so you know you're not going to get booted after, you know, bringing a field up to fertility. Yeah, which is scary. 
What Could you speak up a little? I'm having a hard time scary, hearing you. What else is comforting? You just mentioned something really interesting, which is deducting lease payments on your taxes. And um, at the upcoming NOFA conference, there's a whole um, session on taxes for farmers and all the great um, loopholes and tricks that are applicable to agricultural um, businesses. What are a couple other ones just for folks to keep in mind as they um, prepare for next the next round of um, taxes? Well, the first thing to recognize is that being self-employed, and that's what you'll be is if you're a farmer, is that you pay both ends of Social Security tax plus federal uh, income tax, and so that adds up to about a third of what you make, which is kind of surprising when you think about it. Um, if you make $30,000, you're going to actually spend $10,000 on taxes if you're a self-employed business. And so... If you're to, if you once you realize that, then you say, okay, well, then I might want to reduce my thirty thousand dollar income by buying something for my business. The the IRS is actually kind of encouraging businesses to re in, to reinvest in themselves because you can avoid paying taxes. And so, if I buy a ten thousand dollar tractor, you know, it lowers my net profit to twenty thousand dollars. I'm paying less. Uh, taxes, but I still have my $10,000 tractor, I, I come out ahead. And so you want, you know, the, the lesson for startup or any, any farmer is that you want to expense every bona fide expense to the farm as you can. So you want to keep track of all those little $10 um, gas slips that you might, you know, take out a $10 bill out of your wallet for your delivery truck. You want to be able to just say um, fit business expense and keep track of it because that will they will all add up and um, save you money in the end. I mean, I and what's I, an easy way know, to do that? Do you put I, a, do you have a I feel like I need to pay my fair share of taxes, and I just don't want to pay more than my fair share of taxes. Yeah, seriously. And do you put? Do you have like I've seen farmers who have a little paper clip in the on the dashboard on the um, what's it called the shader on the front of the windshield. Or they put so, all their gasoline slips? They, that's a great way of doing it. Or have just, you know, any system works as long as you can keep track of it. The other thing to do is if you use your, if you have a truck and you also have a station wagon like we do, we would, you know, um, keep track of mileage every time we take the station wagon to go deliver something or pick up parts. You know, you just write down the mileage, and those miles add up to, you know, and we saved a couple hundred dollars in taxes just from recording our mileage on our station wagon, which, you know, at first I didn't think was that big, but then we started realizing how many trips it does take over the course of a year. And, you know, again, if you saw $100 lying or $200 lying on the ground, I'm sure you'd take the time to pick it up. <laughs> it's just a matter of realizing that those are those leaks are happening um, during the course of the year just so you can, you know, take advantage of them. And and this um, this farm that you were developing it when it was in its first years, you were starting out on how many acres with how many people, and compared to after after thirty years, almost thirty years of doing it, how many people and how many acres? We like started what, out what, small, what, and I also I recommend, and maybe that's just my nature, and other people probably disagree, but I recommend starting out small and building your market and farming uh, capacity.
capacity kind of hand in hand. So you don't start by planting 40 acres. You maybe start with one or two. And in my case, the very first year, we planted one acre of a very kind of a shotgun approach of planting a lot of different things and seeing what would sell and what would grow well and how to grow them. I mean, I was pretty green in terms of just, you know, I had a Johnny's catalog with me in my back pocket so I could learn about crops as I was planting them. And so uh, I would start start out small. We started out with an acre, and then we went to two acres, and then we went to four acres, to eight acres, to 16 acres pretty quickly. And I was pushing the envelope, and a lot of things started to creak in the, in the, in the system. And so we kind of backed off a little bit until we felt more comfortable with what we could do. Back in the very beginning, it was myself and probably two other people helping me out. And currently, we've got you know, one, two, three, four, five or six full-time equivalent people um, for the size operation we have. So I think, you know, one person can do, you know, two to three acres with hand tools, you know, working hard, but still manageable. And for a five-acre operation, you probably have, you know, two or three people, depending on, again, obviously, depending on what you grow, if you're doing a lot of hand picking as opposed to, five acres of winter squash, which you plant it all at once, harvest it all at once kind of thing. It's a little different. Um, so, yeah, I would, uh, again, so start off small and, you know, try to so farm smart. I guess that's maybe one of the lessons in the book is to try to, you know, you know, think, you know, farm from the neck up and try to, you know, think about the best way of doing it so you're not, so you're being as efficient as possible and not wasting food or your time or your employee's time. Mm-hmm. And then have lots of kids to help you out. Mean the, mean our, our offspring kids? Offspring. Our offspring units um, are, <laughs> uh, they've been actually working since they were, I don't know, six or eight years old. My daughter was selling mint tea at the farmer's market when she was eight, and she did pretty well, actually, selling mint tea at a quarter a cup. Um, Now they're in their 20s, and, you know, one of their oldest has been working here for, boy, 10 years, and um, the others for four and six years. And so uh, it's great for me as a parent to have our children involved in the farm, but again, it's their lives, and if they want to, I, I encourage them to do whatever they want to do. If they want to be a, um, a stockbroker in New York, I'll endorse whatever decision they want to do, but I'm glad they've decided to, to land here close to home or on the farm so we can have them uh, just for company. Well, I, I think that all of us should have your book for Winter Company by our bedsides, and I thank you so much for spending your winters um, diligently cataloging the lessons you've learned. Again, this book that we're talking about, oh dear, now I've navigated away from the title. Oh, the Organic Farmer's Business Handbook. And it's published in Vermont also? It's published um, in Vermont by Chelsea Green Publishing, a great small publisher that does... Um, a lot of great books. Uh, you'll see Elliot Coleman's books there and a lot of, you know, some, I should say, some politically charged books, but uh, 
great titles and great reads. And they were, as a you know, as a first time publisher, they were just a great, or as a first time writer, they were a great publisher to work with. I really enjoyed um, everyone that I dealt with at Chelsea Green. And you can buy the book from their website at chelseagreen.com. You can buy it through our website at katefarm.com or um, any number of bookstores online or um, in the store. And it seems like you're going to show up at the NOFA Summer Conference. Is that right? The Summer Conference, unfortunately, I can't. I'm going to be at the Common Ground Fair in Maine, which is in September. Sounds great. And for all you listeners... Um, who are going to be in Maine for the upcoming Chautauqua. Um, that will also be at the Common Ground Fairground. That's uh, August 14th and 15th. So get to Maine for, for Common Ground to meet Richard and get to Maine for the Chautauqua. Um, learn about his work on his website, uh, www.katefarm.com. Thank you so much, Richard, for joining us. Well, thank you, Severin. Have a good day. Have a good day. All right. Thank you Bye-bye. all, uh, listeners, for coming again. Please do check us up online, www.thegreenhorn.net. Have a lovely afternoon. Bye-bye.